everyone, and welcome to the WPA Next Gen podcast series, Net Zero Carbon Westminster. I'm Caroline Haynes, WPA Next Gen member and development manager at Derwent London. With me today, I've got two WPA Next Gen colleagues who will introduce themselves in a moment. I'd also like to take the time to thank the WPA Next Gen sponsors, Gardner and Theobald. So this is the first in our podcast series talking about all things net zero carbon. We've got some great guests lined up. During the series, we're going to discuss the ever-growing focus and importance of net zero carbon, what challenges and opportunities we as an industry face to minimise our carbon footprint and how we can go about this. With the UN Climate Change Conference being held in Glasgow later this year, there has never been a more prevalent time for the real estate industry to step up and address what we are actually doing to tackle climate change. During the series, we're going to consider the role of planning policy within Westminster, alongside the importance of design, development and investment to deliver net zero carbon buildings. During the series, I'll be speaking with Gary Elliott, CEO and founder of Elliott Wood Structural Engineers, to discuss how we can design buildings to minimise both operational and embodied carbon alongside the key challenges faced by design teams. So Ollie, Katie, over to both of you to introduce yourselves and your episodes. Hi everyone, my name is Donovan Morris. I currently work as a sustainability energy consultant at TFP, essentially kind of helping project teams, designers, developers to suppose, rethink the way that buildings are constructed and to really kind of drive home this net zero carbon agenda that we're hearing so much about. I'll be speaking to Andy Haig, who is Director of Climate Positive Solutions at Grosvenor Britain and Ireland. They are one of several property groups currently exploring, driving their net zero carbon agenda. So it'll be a really interesting conversation to understand from Andy exactly what Grosvenor, Britain and Ireland are doing, how they are achieving their goals and how they can set themselves apart and set an example in terms of exemplary farm performance. Thanks, Ollie. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Hughes. I'm a WPA Next Gen member and a senior planning consultant at Gerald Eve. In my episode, I'm going to be having a chat with James Wickham, who is a senior partner in the planning team at Gerald Eve. We're going to be discussing the intricacies of planning policy and what role that plays in achieving net zero carbon, more specifically the balance that that has with preserving the heritage significance of buildings, which is obviously particularly relevant in Westminster, given its stock of listed buildings. Great. Thanks, guys. So I guess, Ollie, what what do we really mean by net zero carbon and why is it becoming increasingly important at the moment? Okay, so it has been important for a number of years. I think, of course, the industry has started to really recognise how essential it is to start delivering low carbon buildings. And we have this phrase, uh, net zero carbon. Essentially, that's split into kind of two areas of focus. So we can talk about the operational carbon, and we can also talk about the construction carbon. The operational carbon has historically been the focus of a lot of development, looking at kind of the energy demands within a building and the associated carbon with that. So you'll find a lot of planning policy often talks about improvements upon regulated carbon emissions, for example. That's in relation specifically to operational carbon. But what's become more apparent and become more of a focal point uh, within the industry more recently is this idea of, of embodied carbon, upfront carbon, the carbon that's associated with the, the product itself. If you think about a door, for example, it's the the energy, it's the carbon that is associated with the manufacturer of that door. Everything from the extraction of the material through to the processing, manufacturer, the transportation, and then finally the kind of installation on site 
And we, we refer to that as construction carbon. It really tries to look at the whole picture as opposed to what I think previously industry had, had done, which was the operational carbon element of that. Okay, and thanks, Ollie. So there's a real recognition that we, we can't just reduce operational carbon and there's a real focus now looking at embodied carbon. And I think it'd be really interesting just to talk about how in practice can we really look to reduce embodied carbon specifically? I think one of the... I suppose the, the, the key things is to think about existing buildings that we have currently. Uh, 80% of buildings around today, existing buildings, will be around in 2050. There's a real need to start rethinking how we develop buildings. New shiny office buildings is not the future. We need to be refurbishing and reusing our existing stock. So I guess as a first principle, it's do we need to build? If the answer is yes, and I know often the answer is yes at the moment, then it's about how can we reduce the amount of materials that are, that are going into uh, into that particular development. There's a, an established hierarchy looking to reduce operational carbon. So we follow the London plan energy hierarchy. Similar thing with embodied carbon, construction carbon looking at reducing your emission as much as possible through low embodied carbon uh, solutions, but also, you know, really challenging teams to say, do you actually need this material within the building? Reducing the amount of materials that you're posing kind of from the outset. Uh, recognition that certain materials are much more carbon intense than others. Traditionally, kind of reinforced concrete frames, steel frames, certain materials, aluminium, for example, very, very carbon intense. What we are asking designers and project teams to really think about and start challenging them on is the low embodied carbon material alternatives. You may have heard a lot about cross-laminated timber, CLT. That's becoming a lot more popular common to include within design proposals. We we know there are challenges, obviously, with the Hackett report, with kind of fire safety regulations, but there are still opportunities to incorporate CLT within design. And that has real benefit in embodied carbon perspective, not only to reduce the amount of reinforcement, if you're using a, a CLT sort of structure, then it's obviously more lightweight than a steel structure or can be more lightweight than a steel structure. CLT has an added benefit uh, if sourced uh, responsibly uh, of uh, biogenic storage. Obviously, timber wood absorbs carbon, so you can actually use the uh, the biogenic storage uh, potential as part of your assessment for buildings to ensure that you are um, uh, reducing your embodied carbon as much as you can. So since the government declared a climate emergency in 2019, which essentially updated our commitments to deliver carbon reductions. So in 2008, the Climate Act, a commitment was made to reduce emissions by 80%, which has now been updated. And our commitment is to deliver a net zero carbon economy by 2050, which has trickled down into regional local authority requirements, including the London plan. Thanks, Solly. I think that's a really interesting point there, particularly the differentiation between you know embodied carbon from construction and you know reducing your carbon emissions from the operation of the building. So the planning episode where I'm going to be talking with James follows a number of policy changements, namely the recent publication of the London Plan. Critically, since the publication of the London Plan, developers are now having to provide whole life carbon assessment and circular economy statements in addition to the, the energy assessment. So, you know, slightly more stringent in terms of what, what developers have to provide with their applications. Of course, also the Westminster City Plan has now been adopted, which largely follows the policy requirements 
months of the London plan. And in addition to that, Westminster are currently consulting on their environment SPD. So that document, once it's adopted, will provide the necessary detail to support policies in the city plan. Specifically, it's you know it's said to give more prominence and weight to environmental issues. So as the policy is updated, it seems like more weight has been given to this over protecting the significance of the heritage assets. But that's what we'll be talking about and how that's going to work in practice. So James has recently been involved in making reps on the consultation. And so it'll be it'll be interesting to have a discussion about how that's going to work in practice. And, and interestingly as well, the SPD now goes into detail on retrofitting existing buildings, which historically has always been where the difficulties have been in, in achieving that balance between protection and promoting net zero carbon. Right, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a huge amount to cover. And um, we've definitely seen it on some of our schemes, actually, where the planning departments are definitely asking for further clarity or evidence on why you're either proposing to demolish or retain a building, which is good to see, really. So hopefully this series will be insightful and hopes to address in practice how we can all really contribute to delivering a net zero carbon economy. So thanks for listening, everyone, and hopefully you'll enjoy all the episodes.